0: Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where we try to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs. We're going to try that, and we may not succeed, but we're going to try. My name is Scott McMahon, and I'll be your host for this show. Okay, so here we are at episode 11, And in today's episode, I interview composer, musician, master Thomas Thorson as we discuss his art, music, film, and business. Thomas is a very active producer of his music and his band Interiors. I first met Thomas when I placed an ad on Craigslist when I was looking for a composer for my feature film, The Cube. You can check out more of that at thecubemovie.com. Anyhow, so we were able to get some of Thomas's music into the film, which I was very, very excited about. All right, before we get into the interview, it's time for today's quick tip on how to go from a filmmaker to an entrepreneur. Last episode's quick tip was simply mindset. Just make believe that you are a filmmaker, and then you make believe that you are an entrepreneur. It's that simple. Now, you must repeat this to yourself over and over until you believe it, until you believe your own bull crap bola. You know, you fake it till you make it. Okay, so now where do we go after you have the mindset? It's time to look at the bigger picture. All filmmakers, artists, musicians, novelists must become entrepreneurs. It only means that making your art will not be enough as you must have a greater understanding of how your art will be met in the marketplace. We only do this so we can make a sustainable living to make even more art. And that's it. Filmmaking. I want you to think about this. Hollywood is not in the film business. Let's say that again. Hollywood is not in the film business. They are in the business of exploiting licenses. So what does this mean? It means that they must acquire and control as many licenses for years, 25 years, 50 years. They must be able to control those licenses that they own. They need to take those licenses and make t-shirts or toys or even make another TV show out of it or even do a remake of it years later. They need to exploit that license in as many formats as possible to maximize the profit potential to its fullest. So if that's how Hollywood operates, how can you as an independent filmmaker and as an independent entrepreneur operate in the same way? Let's just chew on this for a bit. How can you operate in the same fashion as Hollywood in terms of exploiting licenses? If you create your own films, how will you exploit that license? There you go. Your quick tip of the day. How will you exploit the license of your film? If you decide to give it away to a distribution company, you're giving away all of your control of what you do with that exploitation. So think about it. I hope that's a good tip for you. Alright, so now let's get on with my interview with composer, musician Thomas Thorson of Interiors here on the Film Trooper Podcast.
1: Do you like being called Tom or Thomas? Well, I, I take my professional credits as Thomas, but to my friends, I'm Tom. So. Alright, yeah. we'll call you Tom. Well, Tom. well I was going to call you Thomas for professional. <laughs> few oh, okay, <So>, okay, Okay, <laughs> there, no. okay
0: yeah. That'd be, yeah that'd be. We're here at the Ben Brick in Northwest Portland, and um, it's cool. We just passed happy hour. But, you know, I'm excited for this interview because, again, I was just mentioning earlier, um, all your involvement, all the work that you produce um, independently in the music scene and even though this uh, podcast is called The Film Trooper and the idea about behind The Film Trooper podcast is to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs, yeah really all it is is trying to help artists become self-sustained, make a sal- safe, sustainable living off yeah. their art, yeah, and obviously we're all just trying to do that, whether or not we're artists, musicians, you know, filmmakers, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, with all the stuff that's gone on uh, digitally and the um, um, sort of all the barriers being broken down, um, the filmmaking industry is just like on its on its head right now. Yeah, it just keeps turning around. But the music industry went through that before, and everybody talks about how the music industry sort of is a good example of what's going to happen to the film industry. So I think it's really cool to have you on today's podcast because we can talk more about that. Thanks. So before we start, I have all these questions and stuff. So we got the welcome introductions. Name is, um, professional name is Thomas Thorson. Yep. And why don't you give us a little bit about yourself in terms of like, because it's hard for me to keep track because I see that you have your band, your music thing, but there's so much more that
1: you do. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I started as a classical musician. I started playing the violin at the age of three. And um, I guess I kind of had a, a rebellion, as many people do. I think maybe who grew up playing classical music exclusively. And I played I played jazz drums when I was in middle school. I started when I. When I started high school though, I um, decided I wanted to play the bass guitar and join a punk rock band and then I had a mohawk for a few years and so, so I kind it of was like, like traditional like three chord style punk. Oh yeah, stage? totally. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. It was yeah, in Portland. Grew up in Portland here. I was in like um, you know what they call like the anarcho punk, peace punk scene okay. here. So it was a very it was it was a very cohesive scene in a way that um, I think for me, actually, that scene uh, provided kind of, in many ways, like a high point for my experience of like musical community, even though I don't really have any ties to that music anymore. It's kind of been an interesting role model for me. It's fascinating about the Northwest because
0: I saw that um, Pearl Jam documentary, like 20 by Crowe Uh-huh. and it was just discussing like how... Nurturing, or how supportive that group, that community was oh, yeah. in the, the, the yeah. early '90s, late '80s, yeah. And where like Joey Ramone was telling like uh, Chris Cornell, like, you know, you know, whatever. <laughs> I can't do his accent, but he was basically <laughs> in the New York. We were like sabotaging other bands. This is how the punk scene <laughs> yeah. was. But Seattle was just this. This everybody was buddies, and they're right. and very nurturing. So it's, it's interesting to hear that's what
1: you went through in the uh, yeah. The it's, nar- it, I think scene. there's something interesting to me about that that moment here. Because nobody thought that they would be Well, first of all, nobody thought they'd be having a career doing music For yeah, one thing Everybody right. had jobs Everybody expected they were going to have day jobs You know, whatever For the rest of their life their careers as musicians anyway and, um, and in a way that kind of gave a certain freedom, I think To the work that people created So, yeah, I don't know Things, have got, things are way different now In the internet age well, since so, yeah, since then, I guess I I um, got involved in experimental music, and I um, about maybe six or seven years ago started tinkering with like sort of solo recording and kind of invented the 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 uh, umbrella for my current pop project, which is called Interiors. And, um, I've
0: seen it called Interiors X, like on yeah. YouTube. What's the
1: difference? Well, between there Interiors? was a moment there where I was wanting to call it Interiors X, okay. which was really j- kind of um, me w- just wanting to differentiate myself from other acts out there that were also vying for that name at the time. Oh, interesting. But I kind of just realized, like, oh, I should just keep using the name. I was doing something that I felt like was more worthy than what they were doing, so I just right. stuck it out. Interiors, all right. Interiors, yeah. yeah. And then I also do composition now for... um, uh, Sometimes for film, and I want to do more and more of that, um, like original scoring. And I do uh, composition for uh, contemporary dance, too. So that's also a a kind of scoring, although different, um, because it's usually developed in combination with the production of the movement. Um, And then I also do fine art composition so yeah so there's all these kind of little distinct categories and I think for me that's really important to be able to maintain all of them when I run into some frustrations in one artistic pursuit I also have like these other territories that I can run into and, yeah. and I never feel like I get stuck on anything that way now you don't mention
0: it's interesting um, you've done you do some acting as well in <laughs> no, town that's true you were on Portlandia if those who <laughs> ever see the episode of um, it's where Fred and Carrie are like the fashion police. I mean, you're you're part of the runway. That was just, like that was classic, you know. But you were also part of the short film that um, that was really good. It was like really Thanks. creepy. It was like um, yeah, right. Yeah, was, I forget the name of it, but it was something about the dead body. Uh, Roberto, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: A, a quiet night, and it was yes. uh, directed by uh, my friend Cliff Sargent. By the way, I have to meet him. Because oh, he's he a great. He
0: does really. He does That was a really great short film. And then he did the um, YouTube introduction to interiors video which is really solid so
1: when we're done here I gotta get I gotta get figure out a way to meet him yeah totally yeah he's an interesting guy yeah he's an interesting guy
0: is that us thank you welcome
1: yeah I enjoy acting I studied acting for a while and um Actually, well, really, where that story starts is in high, my high school years when I was taking classes at the Portland Film Center, and I actually really wanted to be a filmmaker, which is something that I still would be interested to experiment with at what's some the, point.
0: What's the Portland Film Center? Um, the Port- the the the, sorry, the, the Northwest, 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 Northwest. Film Northwest Film Center. Okay, yeah. yeah.
1: I just did another interview that's this uh, this morning
0: um, with a filmmaker, Mark Steele, and he uh-huh. um, is a local actor, but he's made two feature films and two short films, but he went. Um,
1: He studied there as well, the Northwest uh, Film Center. Oh, cool, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, so he probably took some of the same classes that I did, which were, like, actually, you know, film classes. Like, I took, like, Super 8 and 16mm classes and did all the, you know, splicing by hand and stuff like that. I mean, in in many ways, I think it's sort of an artifact of the 90s, maybe, you know? Like, I I don't (laughs) think... There's very many people working with those media right now, unless it's in a, like a real fine art context. But yeah, yeah. But it still taught me a lot about filmmaking and got my creativity involved, which I guess that's really where you learn the most. I think. Now it's interesting um, because this is um, it's supposed to be like film
0: centric or yeah. film trooper, and you know, at the heart of every story is, or at the heart of every film is a story, right? <laughs> I'll pause this. Let's <laughs> turn that off real quick. Yeah, I'm gonna turn this off too. Anyways, yes. Yeah, so at the heart of every film is, is obviously the story, where that's really the, the core of what makes the film a film. So let me ask you
1: something. In your opinion, like why do we even need stories? You mm-hmm. know. Well, I think that's a really good question because and. It, it's a question that I, can, that I kind of work back and forth from both sides, actually. I'm interested in my music composition in the question of storytelling. Um, and specifically, I ask that question because I'm interested in what happens to music when you take story out, which I think is actually really rather difficult to do. I think that like um, the Western musical canon teaches us to expect a kind of a narrative arc in music composition. And so one of the things that I've experimented with um, in the last five years or so, really, um, is long-form compositions that really, in many cases, lack entirely that kind of narrative content. And I think what I've concluded is... There's something really fascinating that happens when you step outside of storytelling in that sense. But what you what you end up with is something that is extremely alien and very, very weird. It's funny
0: how like we I think subconsciously like humans just sort of need this like framework. We need to know what the category is, we need (laughs) to know almost what the genre is. Even music. I mean music has its genres. We have these boxes. And then we have boxes for films or stories. They mm-hmm. have to be told that way. Books are set up that way. Yeah, yeah. All sort of art form is set up, like, you know, we've been able to narrow it down to, like, you know, all, all stories or all art has, like, these elements. Yeah. You know? And so when they can't explain it, they have to try to explain it by, it's, you know, hard day's night meets, you know, crash yeah, right. or right. something. I don't know. Is this something...
1: Right. Like, right. It's know, part like, of our sense-making. Like, right. we, take, uh, we take kind of um, the chaos of... Uh, of, of happenstance, and we we are we're constantly turning them into stories. So I guess maybe what's so what's so beautiful about presenting a story is that it gives us those kinds of archetypes for our thinking. I think that's probably what I'm so fascinated by in in film. I guess is the way that it's able to create archetypes and tap deeply into the subconscious like it really my experiences with watching the films that I've loved uh, has shaped my dream life you know shaped my imagination let me uh, uh, piggyback on that one or ping back on
0: that one so films what are some of your favorite films (laughs) that have influenced you like when you talk about the dream state yeah totally totally well
1: I loved film from a very early age. I know, um, I think it was probably my eighth or my ninth birthday party I had invited my friends over all to watch, um, it was like a slumber party, you know, and we all watched Dr. Strangelove, which is probably, it was probably incredibly boring for some of those kids, but that was like one of the most fun, silly, hilarious, poignant movies I'd ever seen, and it's just totally like opened up my world I wanted to share that with all my friends you know so that was definitive I would say what made you pick that movie at age 8 9 yeah well um it has such an absurd sense of humor it's like got this awesome mix of slapstick and just this in- incisive um critical perspective like I think that I had you know a sense for the absurdity of the world and I just felt like, I don't know, there was just something really fundamental that was that was affirmed by that. And then I fell in love with other Kubrick films. I, Kubrick was sort of like my first... my first... Um, beloved filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I think it was a few years after that, I probably saw... Um, uh, Terrence Malick's Days of Heaven, like when I was probably 12 or 13 or something, I saw that for the first time. And that just... It's interesting. Just captured that my imagination. Those are the ones who've Im- influenced you because those, not necessarily,
0: s- they've worked in traditional story form. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of what we see as the marquee, you know, Hollywood system. But definitely those two expanded the the format to make you think, or you you knew yeah. there's something there. You can tell there's a lot of intelligence behind mm-hmm. the art. Yeah, right. And it it's pulling you somewhere where it leaves like an afterglow right which right. is it's interesting because we met it was because I said hey I'm making this film I got no money but I'm looking for a composer that yeah. had sort of like the um, social network you know Trent Reznor Atticus Ross style yeah I mean, right you wrote back because so I think and it's funny I sent it out on a Craigslist oh yeah I right got, I got response globally worldwide and then what's fascinating you said I'm here in Portland and I think you should meet me <laughs> I met you <coughs> And all your work was like, holy cow! You ain't kidding, you know. So, <laughs> just to have the chance to meet you, and we did our best to try to work something out. But obviously, my budget was nothing. So it's one of those things like we're trying to work something out. But the, what was interesting about that is um, my my intention for that movie was always to like leave this like. Um, glow afterwards where people say, what the hell was that? You're right. Well, what happened was the first cut of it was too much of the what the hell was that because people were like, I think you need to explain it a little bit more. <laughs> so what you haven't seen is I've cut, I've actually cut it shorter yeah. and I've added a much better sort of explanation at the ending. Oh, okay. It still has like, we should leave an, an, like an afterglow to it but it, it helps a little bit explain it. And, um, I'll be using your song, um, Oh, gosh. The, sake, the, the demo one you have. On, sorry, uh, yeah, dream, that's... Uh, uh, oh, oh uh, uh, We're on Fire. We're on Fire. So yeah. I use that in another piece, but I'm going to do a rep- uh, reprise of that for the ending credits sequence. Oh, awesome. Cool. Because I was playing it over and over, and I have a this sort of animated um, ending sequence for the movie that I think basically oh, sums fantastic. up the whole movie, and I think it's perfect. Because your movie it I mean, I'm sorry, your music is this very dreamlike... Intelligence, like you—you you can tell. Like there's, a, I've heard a bunch of demos that would come through, and it just sounded sort of like stock movie soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Like they were, tr- like they were trying to be like John Williams, but they're not quite there. Right, right, right. And then yours was unique, original, but it had depth to it, and it's like it's really, really cool. Hmm, cool. And then then yeah. you had that um, last year you put on that um, oh dark yeah music festival right, which yeah. was awesome, fantastic. It was really great to see. Anyway, that's me. Um, I'll probably cut into this podcast little snippets of your music, oh, so great. people go, "Oh, what the hell is he talking about?" But that's excellent. what I'm talking about. Good. Anyways, so it's very cool about the films, your favorite films, and the films that affect you. And I can totally see how that affects your art. Um, so we got a little bit. Um, so in my podcast, I kind of go over like basic uh, story structure. Uh huh. Sure. And I talk about Joseph Campbell and the Hero of a Thousand Faces and his book, and really that was a hard book for me to get through because it was almost like a textbook Uh because Joseph Campbell has like a brain like it never his study and his his knowledge of like world mythologies and cultures is beyond anything so it's like it's not the easiest read to get through yeah 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 I'm not familiar with it well, essentially, uh, George Lucas used this book in his studies to build Star Wars uh-huh. because he built it off all the parameters that all these cultures, since mankind has been around uh-huh. throughout history, have a very commonality of structure of story uh-huh. about yeah. mythology. Yeah, yeah. And so, this other author, Chris Volger, who um, wrote this book called The Writer's Journey, was worked for this movie studio systems. Um, as a consultant to help structure story. And um, Darren, o- oh, i got to screw this up. Black Swan director. Mm, and, yeah, uh, Darren o- Thank you. Yeah. I <laughs> have <laughs> a hard time with names. He, like, swears by this book. Like, huh, when yeah. they were writing Black Swan, he was like, it has to stick to the structure of The Writer's Journey by Christopher Volger. Right. And anyhow, he does a, very, a better job of sort of uh, taking Joseph Campbell's work and making a layman's term of it, you know. But in the story, they talk about that every story has to start off with the pre- presentation of the ordinary world, or uh-huh. essentially the rules of the world. Right, right, right. And, so for every, and we have our own stories, so we were kind of touched upon that, because your ordinary world was, you grew up, born in you know, Portland, raised up in Portland, Oregon, but you also had an um, inciting incident, which is what they call um, um, Robert McKee, who wrote the book Story, that that screenwriting and storybook. Yeah, he talks that every story within like the first seven t- fifteen minutes have this inciting incident that changes uh-huh. the ordinary world. <laughs> right, right, right. And so it sounds like these movies where a young person, Doctor Strange Love, yes. things like that. Yeah. Your musical, like you were a prodigy in that sense, going classical, but then something has to change. Yeah. So. um I did have a question, which is another screenwriting book. It's one of my favorites is uh, Blake Snyder, who has passed away a couple years ago. He wrote a book called Save the Cat. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Save the Cat, he talks about the main hero, the character, has to have like a save the cat moment within the first five, ten minutes because the audience has to believe, like, you know what? I, for some reason, I buy into this person's, this character's humanity or whatever yeah. they do to follow them to the end of the story. Yeah. And so there'll be a lot of times when we're watching movies where all of a sudden, like, you don't know why something's not working, but you realize you don't really care about the characters. Right, right, right. Because they didn't You're, have a moment, what they call save the cat. They didn't have a, a mu- moment of humanity or or some flaw, that even if it was an anti-hero. Uh-huh. Something you can buy into that I'm going to follow this person all the right, way through. Right, right, right. So here's an interesting question for you. Do you have a save the cat moment? <laughs> this is for the audience to go, you know what, I'm going to buy into this guy and because he did something of, of that nature. All right, well... I did literally save a cat. Not too long ago. See, then there ago. you
1: go.
0: <laughs> you know, in the movie uh, Alien, Sigourney oh, Weaver yeah, literally saves, saves cat. a cat. So that's why you
1: follow her through the movie. <laughs> so you did. That's all you did. Well, to yeah, not too long ago. Yeah, I have a, I have a cat who's now. Oh, that's right. Yeah, all, almost two years old now. But yeah, we like rescued him from, um, you know, a, a situation where you know he was needing to be adopted and. Brought him home and he was all covered with fleas, so um, yeah, my girlfriend and I had to keep him quarantined for about a week, and we just we literally picked every single flea off of him until he was until he was all better, and then basically his personality just sort of came to life. You know, he was just like meek little quivering kitten, and then as soon as all the fleas were gone, he just like turned into this totally spunky, vivacious troublemaker. What's so. his name? I met him. Dale. Actually Dale, Dale Cooper. He's named after Dale oh Cooper my God. from Twin Peaks. How
0: awesome. And we have a love affair for <laughs> yeah. Dave Lynch and Twin Peaks. Yeah. And, and all and, and Angela, Angela Battlemanti. Battle, yeah. 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 By the way, we're drinking um hub lager. It's here in Portland Oregon. Yeah wonderful. It's out of a can, but it's pretty good. We're in a happy hour. So this is part of the podcast too. Not only do we <laughs> highlight some areas that we're here in Portland but My goal is to get through as many microbrews as possible doing these podcasts. Yeah, this is fantastic. (laughs) Cool. So you've done all that. You've had your inciting incident. Now here's a question. So, whoops. um, Joseph Campbell and Christopher Volger talk about every hero needs a mentor. Like it's the Obi-Wan Kenobi story. Yeah. The the magical wizards. Merlin the wizard. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any mentors that you can attributes of your journey artistically
1: yeah well I mean I've had many many mentors I think
0: that's pretty good
1: I think I'm, I'm always excited to take inspiration from, from work that I love and I would say probably you know if I had to pick like a mentor for a really substantial part of my life I'd probably have to say even though I've never actually met the man I hope that I do someday um, I'd have to say it's probably Brian Eno, who's like a you know, landmark yeah, yeah. music composer, music producer, um, conceptual artist, and um, manages to be um, this very, very rare combination of an excellent pop musician and producer, and at the same time, also really a philosopher of sorts. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I, I still learn things from him all the time. That's not a bad mentor. Yeah, right. And who knows you? I think you might get a chance to meet him. I hope so.
0: That's, that's a cool one.
1: <laughs> that's
0: a error. Oh. Okay, so following the tradition of story structure. Uh-huh. So our hero has to cross the first threshold. This is sort of where the story all right. begins. Right. Do you remember a moment where you realized that you were crossing Mm. past the ordinary world into some new world? Obviously, this is, you know, whether or not your first piano lesson or or anything like that.
1: Yeah. Okay, well, here's a good example. This was a major kind of rising to the occasion moment that I had to uh, endure or overcome or whatever, but I, I, when I was acting, I acted in high school, and... I ended up landing uh, the—I hadn't had any voice training at this point in my life and um, really hadn't done any kind of, like, singing in front of people of any kind. But I landed um, the role of uh, Danny Zuko in Grease in my (laughs) high school production. Kind of just like—I just tried hard at the audition and had a lot of fun, and then I ended up getting the role, and I was just totally terrified by it.
0: I would say um, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was
1: cool. It was cool. It was, um, but it was utterly terrifying. I didn't. Um, a big part of me probably didn't want to actually have to do that. Um, but then I got the role, and then of course there wasn't really any going back. And um, yeah, I don't know. I had to conquer just as like a, like I think most performers do. You know, you have to conquer at a certain point, a certain amount of stage fright, and just figure out how to like. Own own that um, own that position where everybody's watching you, you know, and figure out how to like harness that energy in a really positive way, which is not necessarily a natural thing to do. That's so it's fascinating. You know, it just brought
0: back memories of like my first performance as a young kid too, just that entering that world of like <laughs> theater or performance. Like yeah. oh man, you gotta bring it. Yeah. I didn't bring it, but you know, but anyway, I still had that moment. <laughs> Do you remember, uh, sort of, like, one of your first moments, like, having your own music or a music performance or, like... Oh, yeah, you know, well... Not, not like, yeah, necessarily yeah. singing, like, in a, in a, uh, a, stage play,
1: but, like, now you are performing your own music. Ah, uh, yeah. Sure, yeah. I mean, I guess, truly, I've always had, like, a kind of a complicated relationship with music performance. Um... Because I guess I, I have like such high um, ambitions for what I am able to produce sonically that it's really really hard. It can be very frustrating to perform. Some people are totally the opposite, where they they just absolutely love like the adrenaline rush of being on stage. Um, but that's definitely not me. I'm I'm I think my musical gore, my musical goals are very methodical, so. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't know. It's always it's like it whenever I'm like redesigning a new a, a new set or bringing new material to a live performance, it's it's really like a it it pulls something deep out of me that I I feel like I have to just get it kind of perfect every time. So it's always hard. It's always hard.
0: You're um Aren't you also
1: partners or like a, a
0: um, recording studio here mm-hmm.
1: What's yeah. it Yeah, called yeah. I run um, I run a, a mixing and a mastering studio called Underwater Studios. Underwater Studios. And you, there's a, a fellow there that I met at the Dark Music Festival. Oh yeah. That's well, right. Again? Well, that was that was actually a, kind of an old iteration of of the studio. Underwater Studios is my own studio, um, and that was a studio called Carson Labs, which was a collaborative okay. effort. Which. Um, you know, it's somewhat disbanded, I guess, at this point. But oh, okay. um, maybe that was my friend Jeremy. Jeremy, Jeremy House. that's right, man.
0: Yeah. And he mentioned that, you know, okay. he mentioned that about you. He says, you know, Thomas will go in and just will not and not finish. Like, he just has to get every knob, every sound, of every, <laughs> like, texture of the sound correct. And it shows because your, your dedication to the details of it definitely show in your music. Because you can tell there's um it doesn't sound stock mm. you know what I mean it doesn't sound like
1: that doesn't yeah, sound like cool. a stock
0: like what I can what I do in garage garage band like <laughs> well <whoa,"> you know
1: <laughs> cool so that's interesting that you brought that up well good I'm very glad cool. I mean yeah I mean I really like to make art that feels like a dream you know and I, and I guess what that means to me is dreams are indescribable or at least very very difficult to describe and it's always just like the details, the textures are what make dreams so fascinating to me. And I guess I'm just inspired by the bizarre richness of sensation. So, you know, I want that to be captured in the music that I make. I think a music... Oops. Oops sorry. <laughs> I think um,
0: it's interesting. You're right, because music strikes an emotional chord where film has to really fight for it. Mm. Like, because you can tell, like, a bad story, bad film, you just, you get nothing mm. out of it. But a really good story told through the visual medium, yeah. films sometimes will leave these. All your senses are sort of touched, you know. Yeah. Where music carries with you, and sometimes music is almost like a uh, another scent, uh, like a element of scent, you know, or mm. for memory. Yes. How, how many times have you like come across a song like this song, or oh, whatever? Man. This music reminds me of this time in my life. Yeah. And like you can almost start smelling it. You can feel like those moments when you hear the, a song you haven't heard totally. in a long time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's, it does. I think it does tap into the um, subconscious. And uh-huh. besides you know, people needing stories, like you said, their song and music is one of the most primitive forms of communicating I think there is. So yeah. It, it yeah. hits an emotional chord yeah. that is almost indescribable. Yeah. So I feel like
1: I've, got, I've had. I've, uh, you know, dabbled in lots of different media. And when I wonder why it is that I ended up doing music I oftentimes I I feel like I'm able to answer that question by saying that music is able to create that kind of transportation where you are you are transported into a different world it's able to do like what you're saying you know a, a film can do in 90 minutes or 120 minutes sometimes a great song can do that in two minutes
0: exactly exactly it's It's totally weird. Sets your subconscious,
1: sets your dreams
0: to go. Mm -hmm. That lucid state of like imagination. But definitely, I think you, if that was your goal, you're definitely hitting it. Oh, cool. So it's really cool. I can't wait to. We'll play some samples. I'll cut it into the podcast. (laughs) Let's see here. Give you a moment to eat that. And. Mm. Okay, here's the fun part. So, (laughs) in every story, to make it work you kind of have to have a moment of darkness or they call it like the hero entering the inmost cave the darkest or Mm -hmm. or Blake Snyder calls it the dark hour the soul Yeah, Yeah. where you hit this thing where you're like but you have to conquer it because Mm -hmm. it's like the last beast level last last boss level in a video game you know you gotta conquer that so that when you come out of it you are able to grab the elixir and bring it back to the ordinary world right so right. in, in Buddhism, Buddha talks about reach the state of nirvana, but the greatest yeah. gift is sort of to give, share your knowledge to others. So you come down, you come down from the mountain, you come down from the, the state of mind yeah. where you, you've you've crossed over someplace, you've had a journey, and now you have something that you can share to the the, the village, you know what I'm saying? Right, so sure, sure, what sure. Pr- uh, professionally has been, uh, or artistically has been sort of a dark moment where it, you fought through, you came through it, and then you had this elixir. Oh.
1: Wow. Well... It's hard for me to think of maybe a specific, a specific example of this that I could tell as, like, a really nice little anecdote. But I guess, for me, the battle that I feel like I am kind of waging over and over again is... is this tension between social expectations being this kind of like oppressive force and my desire to be able to kind of create work that is involved with and taps into themes or feelings that run totally contrary to social expectations of here and now in other words i think i'm interested in a kind of like creating in art an experience of a vast perspective that's what i'm really striving for a kind of like a, a vast perspective of the world or the universe one that is not just about whatever is cool right now or whatever is trendy um but something that I, I guess I, that I think is truer than that. And so me as a person, you know, I'm constantly, I'm sure like everybody, pulled by what I feel is expected of me by other people, by, you know, people in the music scene potentially mm-hmm. or by people in the fashion scene or whatever, you know, right. the, the, People have their own circles of influence, I guess, and or circles which influence them is really what I mean. Um, but I guess I feel like I always make my best work when I'm able to remove myself from any kind of self-imposed censorship that is really just like the, the work of those social expectations.
0: Interesting. You know, it's funny that you brought that up because... So the film The Cube that I made. Yeah. So, you know, I had worked at Sony PlayStation making uh, movies, um, like cinematic movies, for like the first 12 years or first half of my career, mm-hmm. my professional career. Then I tried to make, um, produce some independent movies the traditional way in Hollywood yeah. uh, before the economy sort of crashed and things got a, up, a bit upended. Yeah. And I was at the American Film Market uh, a couple years ago when I was got to lay of the land. I got an understanding of sort of what the buyers would want, what audiences would want. Uh-huh. And so I went back and I was trying to reverse engineer. right? right like, yeah, okay, okay, right. if I'm going to have a better success of creating something, then let me start with what people are buying or whatever Totally, whatever I can do. Right. So I started to try to create all these different projects and my writing, some of the stories were just like, that's cool, but it got so big. Like it got away from me and I had to be realistic of my situation. My situation was that I had a full-time job, you know, that I had a family and it's like what could I do or what was I going to sacrifice to make this happen? Because a lot of this, you know, a lot of the, the traditional to do movies, I got I got to raise the whatever x amount is 100,000, a million dollars to make a standard movie with all the people involved and and I had to question myself like what was I passionate about that I was going to willing to kill myself for? Yeah. And so I was start these st- projects and I stopped and I realized I wasn't always 100% 100% passionate about it mm-hmm. then the process of letting go of all those expectations which is really what this is all about because a year ago after having a great night celebrating my wife's birthday I couldn't sleep that night and I had this clearest vision for this movie I could see the beginning middle and end and I said hey this all comes in one spot it comes in my house I can make this in my house yeah so I wrote the outline that morning and I wrote the script a couple of weeks later, but I, was like, I just started getting going. I didn't have anything when I, start, when I put the Craigslist ad out. Like, I need a musician. Yeah. Because I knew it had to have that sort of subconscious or subliminal um, texture of music would be important for telling yeah, the yeah, yeah. story. Yeah. So I didn't, know what, I, I didn't have anything, so I just figured I'd just get going. But that whole process was I let go... And I didn't worry about whether or not the film had any marketing value or market value or had anything that the buyers want or the audience want. It was as pure as like somebody, as an artist, going, I just need to get this off my ch- out of my head and uh-huh. o- onto something. And I need to create it. I need to mold it. I need to make something happen out of it. And that's really all that was. Because mm-hmm. now that I have it, it's funny, once I finished it, I was like, well, what the hell do I do with it now? Yeah. I, so <laughs> that's why um, I probably could have finished and released it sooner, but i really realized okay i have something well how do i deal with it business wise now or how do i find that audience how do i fit it into this social right. expectation right. but right. to hear right. what you're saying is like that was such a liberating feel but it it opened the doors creatively and opened my mind to so many other possibilities because now i have a flood of stories where i thought to myself I can make this story in my house, and this story in my house, and yeah. this story my, and now it's not, it's... Yeah, right. There's another filmmaker down in L.A., I forget his name, but um, he coined it as resource filmmaking, not micro-budget filmmaking or uh-huh. low-budget filmmaking, he calls it resource filmmaking. You just take all the resources that you right, have available right, to you, right. and you just make it happen. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. If you have a lot of money, then right. that's the resources available to you. Right. Kind of look at like Star Wars, I mean, George Lucas, that was resource filmmaking, he had a lot of money an empire that he could build this stuff from but that moment of letting go I know exactly what you're talking about the moment of just not worrying about whether or not this means anything to anybody but just the need to have it but it's interesting once you create it it does open creatively these floodgates so I can imagine a piece of music you're working on like ah or like what you want to do with your career Mm -hmm. and you just you know blinders on and then you let it all go, and then you create something, and that just, you know, escalates to something else. Right,
1: right. And sometimes it takes some sleepless nights to birth those ideas. I mean, that's, that's big for me. I mean, I lie, I lie awake at night, you know, worrying about the world and all of that, and oftentimes that's where I find my greatest inspiration for art, too it's interesting you said that there's a there. Um,
0: I listened to this podcast uh, with Jeff Goldsmith he used to be the senior editor for Creative Screenwriter Magazine and he ran this very long um, running podcast where he interviewed screenwriters for like over hmm. an hour and a half in yeah. the craft yeah. but he's since left them and now he's um, does a podcast called the Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith and he publishes his own iPad um, magazine called Backstage or Backstage or Backpat I can't remember Backstage Pass or something like that but anyhow he does a great job of. Um, oh God, I almost lost my train of thought here. Wait, what was I getting at? We were talking oh, about. Oh yeah. Uh, sleepless nights. Thank and, you. Yeah. So Jeff had interviewed a lot of these screenwriters, like the Coen Brothers. Oh, ah, yeah. And he asked them, "Well, what is your process of writing?" Right. And right, right. the Coen Brothers says, "We take naps." Ah. And there's a lot of these <laughs> screenwriters that talk about or artists. artists I love and naps. So, naps. But there is something to be said about that because it's this weird sort of translucent state of like, it's almost like a spiritual body out of the body experience where yeah. as you're falling asleep, you're kind of half in, awake in consciousness, but you're half in the sleep world. Right. So you're not fully under the influence yeah. of sleep. Yeah. Where your mind, almost like a meditation thing, but it's let go and then you see things clearer. Yeah. And it's yeah. fascinating that for the story of the cube, mm-hmm. I just couldn't sleep because I was in that, all night long, I was in that half sleep, half wake. Right. And it's just your subconscious sort of discovers these artistic inspirations. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, I guess I'm kind of of the opinion that the the waking mind, um, the ego, it's like principal activity is censorship in a certain way. It's like taking this vast input of whatever you want to call it, experience, and um, just sort of like paring it down, tossing things aside so that you can kind of make sense of things to order your waking life. But there's something wonderful that happens when that censorship breaks down and you are able to experience, well, inspiration. I mean, that's, what, that's where the word comes from. It means... Um, yeah, to true. have to have something breathed into you i mean that's where that's that's the etymology of the of the word it's like something breathed into th- yeah, so it's in like this, it, yeah. yeah it's like this yes the the spirit is the breath and it's this something that comes out comes from outside of you you know it's like yeah come but but we're not tuned into it when we're awake because we're just struggling madly to kind of filter out that influence that keep is it fascinating. away
0: yeah and sometimes well, we have these admirations for those who just can abandon it all, you know, mm, or yeah. there's sort of this admiration of the, I guess like in the, the Buddhist, like, teachings and stuff, it's to, to let go of all these restrictions that bound you to this physical earth, mm. of all these uh, desires and needs, to almost become like a pure form of energy, mm. where it's just, there's no... There's no yin and yang. It's just a pure line of like light or something. Uh-huh. That's kind of the idea, you know. I'm sure as Buddhists listen to this, going, "What the hell are you talking about?" <laughs> but anyway, I don't know. So the it's fascinating. Do you? Well, I have a buddy um, who we were discussing this, and we realized we wanted to make a t-shirt where it's like this. <laughs> across your body it's like it says fuck <laughs> and at the end there's like a little guy with his head down that says i'm an artist <laughs> it's like there's this curse you have as an artist yeah. where you just go no matter what i do i'll always have this overwhelming need to express myself creatively in some form or the other
1: yeah um yeah well i think i could stop making art but i could never stop this sort of suffering experience of like this kind of like sensitive perception of the world, you know? Hmm. And the art is like maybe my coping mechanism for that or something like that. It's like. You're know, the second person
0: today, I talked to the filmmaker today, he talked about it. He said it was hmm. a very cathartic experience, like making these films hmm. um, for himself, you know? And I don't know, it's like, it's again, it's like sharing that elixir. Like, hmm. these are my uh, my thoughts, my emotions, my pains, my worries, my. My my perspective, and yeah. then when you share it in an art form, people it's tangible, yeah, it becomes real, and so right, now people right. can grab onto it. And goes, I'm digging what you're saying, right, right? And this is actually just talking, I think that's probably the first time I understood really what art would be why mm, it's there, yeah. I never really thought about it before, but I guess maybe that's why, yeah, right, right. And definitely a connection, I guess. Mm-hmm. Humans need to connect that way, yeah, I mean, the subconscious,
1: art. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it's yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what my thought is here except that I feel like some of the things that I've seen and felt in my life were so extreme and so vivid. And these are not necessarily like linear rational experiences even, but some of the some of the things that I felt are so vivid and so extreme that I just like can't even help but to like try to honor those feelings by like tinkering with some sounds and trying to see if they come close to that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know.
0: I can see that. How how sound, or this so music, especially what's wonderful about today is like there's so you can find it's so many niches in music. In art in general. Yeah. So you're no longer restricted to what the an industry or a company says this is our best twelve. Right now, it's yeah. it's open oh, man. to yeah. so much interpretation that you can you you should be exploring and finding different sounds. Yeah, and it's funny because um, you know my dad is old, like an old curmudgeon. Now is like, oh, the music is terrible. Is that terrible? <laughs> it's not terrible. It's just so much more. So you're only hearing a small right. snippet. Like, you you think is terrible. Right, but it's actually better now. Oh than yeah, ever totally. Yeah, there's so many avenues for expression mus- musically. Yeah. I do love sounds. I love that there's a, like sort of groups out there that that experiment with sounds. I was listening, not only listening to your new EP, um, you. which is really great, but I forgot that I had just recently bought this uh, a few albums from ama wait Anamana Gucci. They're they make so they're famous because they make all their music from like old 8-bit uh, uh, video game cool. systems, Nintendo yeah, right, and right. like Sega. So it has all of that sound quality of stuff you grew up as, you know, video right, games, with, right. But they have made a full on albums with it. So after a while, you're just you're just inundated with the sound of eight-bit sound, like and it's it's quite fascinating. You know, I don't think they added they they basically just did their
1: engineering, re-engineered that those consoles to yeah, yeah, musical yeah. instruments. Sure. There's of. ways that you can yeah. hack into those consoles and actually play them like you would play a synthesizer. I mean in fact they are they they literally are synthesizers, many of those old Video game systems have synthesizers built into them. They're just tiny; they're on a single chip, hmm. but they actually are, in many cases, they're analog synthesizers. They're just really rudimentary, and of course, the sounds that come out of them are just totally iconic. You yeah, know? for anybody who grew up playing video games. Well, because yeah. you hear it, you you don't know why it's striking. And I
0: the reason. I, the reason I was turned on to them is that I've been listening to the Nerdist podcast with Chris Hardwork, and they, the theme of their song, um, theme of their podcast, has this really catchy tune to it. And uh-huh. then I looked it up, and it was a song by Anna Monaguchi. Oh, and they right. Had this whole sound, and it's like this, yeah. these guys from New York or something like that. Yeah. But it's um, it was really it was cool. It was just huh. something. Yeah, interesting. You need to hear things like that to like open your perspective, your mind, to listen to find other things. Right. You know? Right. So that yeah, was great. Cool. So we're going to switch gears now that we've talked art, which is great, because that's the whole point. Now we bring it back into these social confines of business. Right. Okay. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And the whole whole goal for the Film Trooper podcast is to try to give uh, filmmakers or artists sort of more step-by-step processes that they can take their art and... Start laying down some groundwork to become sustainable, uh, sustainable business, a sustainable artist, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, my question is, with the um, since business has four like force s- simple principles, we have a you either are selling a goods or service. Yeah. So, your music, I would categorize as a goods because mm. it's you yeah. are you're not, yeah. you're not. You're not. You know. You're not providing like unless you use the music to give to, like, an ad company or to, like, some other company that needed
1: it to use it as... Yeah, scoring kind of enters into maybe services on services. But ultimately, I think you'd have to call even that... You'd have to call it goods because even though you may be creating a composition as a commission, um, you know, so in a sense you have to satisfy um, the customer who has commissioned the music, you have to create the music... um, with a substantial port, part of your attention placed on the needs of the person who's listening to it. You it's know?
0: fascinating because, you know, we think back, like, you know, Mozart and whatnot. I mean, they were commissioned to yeah. like, write a symphony. But, I mean, yes, it's them. Right. But even Van Gogh and all these certain artists or Rembrandt, they were commissioned. That's why there are so many, like, during the Renaissance, There's was, like, the church commissioned, like, these. we need to do propaganda to... Like right, Sell the church. Like right. right. God glory. And so artists have always had, from dawn on time, had some sort of cross between commerce and art. You know? Sure. So I don't think yeah. you can yeah. have one or the other.
1: Yeah, you know? right, right, right. Yeah, yes, this, Ideally, you want to be like, I just want to be art. Totally, you know? totally. That's kind of like this modern, that's the modernist myth right there is this mm-hmm. idea that like the artist just makes art for self-expression purely, which... You know, of course, I can identify with that we all sentiment. Yes.
0: But there is something you said about when you're given a restriction. When yeah. you're given limitations. Right. Yeah. It says, here's your limitations. Yeah. yeah. And I need this done by this time. Totally, this totally, totally. So it does, you know, focus or hone in your yeah. creativity. Yeah. So now you have this goods or service. And then you always have to find a customer. So that, that would be your supply. So you have uh-huh. a supply your goods and service. Now uh-huh. you need to find the demand, which becomes your customer or your right. audience.
1: Right, right,
0: In And your experience... Um, have you found your like who's the audience for interiors or your Well, music?
1: yeah, that's a good question. That's a very good question. It's a I, uh, it's complicated because I'd like to think that that anybody who has a vivid dream life could probably enjoy interiors and I would love for my audience to literally be anybody. Now, in very specific terms, I don't know. You know, it's it, it's kind of restricted by the fact that I use a lot of synthesizers, and there's probably lots of people out there who are just like think that synthesizers sound weird or something, and they're not going to listen to music that uses those instruments.
0: I I can see what you're saying, but the way you do it, it feels like a it does feel like many film scores. Like it it's feels cool. it feels deeper than that. So, like, there's a difference between, like, oh, here we are with, like, 80s-style, um... Yeah, right, right, right. You know, it's fascinating. I just, um... You know, I was thinking about craft work, you know, yeah. and being the, the
1: godfathers Total of all the pioneers, stuff. So, yeah.
0: But you know, they were doing express artistic expression from Germany of of, of post-World War II, where they were dealing with bombings and oh, yeah, growing yeah. up with this this guilt of what they have done to the rest of the world. Yeah. So
1: it's interesting, their music is much deeper in an electronic sense right. of like right. Well, and what's interesting also about them that I think a lot of people don't know is that they started out not using synthesizers. Like their first music was done with like acoustic instruments, guitars and flutes and acoustic drums. Yeah, interesting. And they and and those recordings are vastly overshadowed by their electronic music. Um, but the the reason that's interesting to me is that they were their music was never defined by the instruments that they used and i think that that's true of a lot of people yeah they were they were pursuing a certain sort of artistic vision certain textures that they wanted to create or some kind of commentary that they wanted to make a reaction to the world that they that that preexisted their decision to use synthesizers fascinating and they've and, and i mean yeah. their music really comes alive when they start using drum machines and s- synthesizers and all this stuff yeah, and yeah. it turns into this incredibly powerful iconic thing um it's kind of like a like picasso like his early stuff is he can paint and draw oh, like, yeah, right. realism
0: like he was so talented he just was he got sick of it he wanted to challenge himself artistically and got into the, the, the postmodern uh, cubism you know yeah. movement yeah but it's interesting to hear like craftwork starting yeah. out as yeah. here's real world instruments yeah. well, we discovered something can right. we make this this very cold sounding thing but right. have depth to it right which is right. really yeah
1: right they, yeah they like Picasso were masters of many forms and they weren't they weren't just replicating the form. They were creating the work that demanded that form.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating.
1: So anyway, so we got into like the audience for that. I don't know if yeah. you guys because you were yeah. talking about you were talking about yeah.
0: synthesized people might be turned off. Yeah, that, but, right, right, but there right. There is right. De- what I'm trying to tell everybody is like, don't be turned off because
1: your music mm. is much deeper than that. It's not Thank it's you. not like poppy, uh, 80s style. Right, music. right, right. I'd like to I'd like to think I mean, you know, and this is what I say when people ask me about interiors. I would like to think that it's genreless music. I, that's kind of like my goal. Ah, is I that, like that it's not. It's know, to me, what genre genre is like genre is the easy way out. It, yeah. it kind of, I mean, kind of in any artistic pursuit. By the time you, as an artist, are thinking of your work as belonging to a style or a genre, you're not taking your inspiration from the right source anymore. And the, the genre should bend to the work in fact all, I mean all of the great music and great film that I love in many in many instances um, those works are so innovative that they didn't have a genre when they came out in fact people yeah. thought that they were you know the artist is crazy this is never going to work or we don't know really how to classify it you know and, and the ones who are lucky people like it and they think that yeah. of course there's lots of artists out there who have to Endure for years people just never understanding what they're doing, you know. Or maybe only <laughs> until after they're dead and then That's and then true. there's a genre erected after they're dead, you know? It happens a lot. Like it's it's that is a great
0: way to aspire to to create art that is genre genre genre-less as well as timeless. Mm. You know, I yeah. think yeah. having a timeless yeah. factor that even if it captures a moment in time, it's authentic and true to that time. But yeah. this, the way it transcends, it doesn't feel dated. It right, doesn't feel right, right, right. like, eh, you know, that's old-fashioned. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you have your supply and demand. So what do you do business-wise? Like, how do you deal with distribution? Yeah. Obviously, music the digital format with uh-huh. there's so many easy ways uh, obviously iTunes and iPod when they came out said, said hey, you know every song is worth 99 cents sure so that just like leveled right. the industry right. but right. what it did is open up like so many avenues for independent f- music to be able to be acquired mm-hmm. by the masses so how do you deal with
1: distribution well um I think it's an open question for me um i 'm working with a, a label that I like very much um, that 's based in the u k that 's called mozart kind mozart kind yes yes and um, and i th- and I think that the the model that they 're proposing is to market the music in a digital format through the channels that you're speaking of like itunes um the right. music's also up on spotify which i'm pleased to know because i don't use spotify but a friend of mine uh informed me recently that that the music's up there and he's listening to it regularly using that service um i don't i'm it's sort of you just make it and you yeah i mean i i don't know i think there's kind of like It's what. What's an open question for me is whether or not music can be sold in the way that records used to be sold. And this is, of course, this is like right, the hot right. question in yeah. in the music industry. And frankly, it's
0: a hot question
1: in, in the, the film, film industry. industry.
0: Exactly. That's why we're... It's, I, I love this being able to talk to you about all this stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's the same... It's, clearly, it's the same problem or question. I mean, it, I don't know that it has to be a problem. I... I um, My feeling is, is is not distribution is no longer a problem. Yeah, right. So you many can reach people, sure. So many ways
0: to reach a global audience. Yeah, yeah. So even production-wise, um, the tools and the software, you can create a amazing record or a song in your own house. You know, that's sort of for yeah, years. Yeah. I had a, a buddy that was uh, teaching at one of the prominent uh, sort of trade schools that highlight you know they get kids to come in to like learn how to be sound engineers all that kind of stuff awesome. but he was kind of winking to me like i don't know where we're sending these kids because everybody could just make all this stuff on their laptops at their home right so it's a very specialized they, they basically the sort of paid colleges that are out there yeah the dirty secret is they're there to, to make money off you so right. they, what they do is they sell fear they sell the mm-hmm. fear that guess what if you don't get this sort of education, or you don't get a degree, right. then you will not re- attain these these levels. Right. So we need right. you to give your, right. us right. your money at right. very high rates, yeah,
1: so we can keep these uh, institutions sure. alive, right? So these like supplemental industries are are thriving, even when right. the actual artistic industry yeah. itself is maybe and it's hard because struggling
0: because there's a this, this current generation of kids coming out of college with these enormous. Like, educational debt is ridiculous. I can't believe it. But, you know, there is to be said for something where you're not sure what you want to do, but you feel like you're going somewhere if you're in school, Mm -hmm. you know? The real, like, challenge is to bypass all that and say, you know, I just don't want to be spending money, spinning wheels, thinking that I'm doing the right thing. Like, I'm going to get a... Like, I'll get a profession right out of this. Yeah, yeah. It's like to... Because you can, you can learn on your yeah. own yeah. if you commit yourself. Totally. So it is fascinating that the tools for music and now film... Yeah, have film been, is
1: following that same path in terms of the, the democratization of the technology.
0: Exactly. And that barrier has been shattered. And I, I, I think this movie I just finished, The Cube, is evidence of it. Yeah. I mean, because I was thinking, like, is it a big deal anymore? It's not really, because the tools were there. They've always been there for the last few years. And that has leveled the playing field. I think just recently, someone like I think Spielberg was talking about when you go to the theaters, eventually it's going to be like a $50 movie ticket because it's going to be a special event that only a few elite have the money to give you the spectacle. Because there's going to be so much, so much content out there, the gluttony you know like you're only going to be willing to spend like I'll spend $85 to go see the Rolling Stones or whatever yeah. you know what I mean it's right. like right. but then all these other local things right. it's that's like it's got to be like yeah. I, I got to pay five bucks to see them. you know that, that's that level it's
1: right well so, that's kind of what happens in Portland effectively in the music industry already I mean there's so many shows that happen you know people people in my social circles don't want to pay for a ticket more than three, four, five dollars you know what I mean And then, right right Yeah, it's just expected. I mean, yeah. So how do you locally, now we're
0: moving into really the heart of all this business stuff is the fourth principle, which is letting people know that your product exists, which is marketing and promotion. Totally, totally. And that honestly is the last barrier for right. artists because right. all these tools we talk about right. you can write a book you can put it up on Amazon you have a distribution channel yeah and, sure and you can find an audience but right. you've got to let it draw one of a million know. of right. those items that are available on Amazon so books music and right. movies are right. all now like now the really the art of everything that the next the biggest challenge is
1: marketing yeah 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 so what do you do marketing wise for your products. Well, I would say probably the most interesting thing I could say here is that I am really interested in media crossover. So, hmm. for instance, having music and films yeah. is a, is a wonderful opportunity because it encourages a different sort of experience of that of of the work, the the the, the musical work. Um I think that people have their guard up somewhat when they're looking at music on, you know, iTunes or whatever. You know what I mean? Once you're in the marketplace and you're like trying to assess which is the best music here or what's, what music should I be buying or something like that, it's like, it kind of forecloses the possibility of encountering it in the, in the way that music is really supposed to be encountered.
0: It's fascinating because for me, you know, just because I was exposed to a podcast, so I just kept hearing this theme song over and over, uh-huh. it made me go search them out yeah, and cool. buy two of their albums. Yeah, that's cool. You know? That's very cool. So, right, right, kinda, right. kind right. of, that cross
1: platform. Well, and I think, I mean, I think it's already the case, but I think it'll be even more so the case in the future. Video and music in combination, that is the medium... That's the dominant medium of our culture. I love, um,
0: I, I love music videos. Like I still like when I get a chance. Yeah, I mean, there's such a, a great short form of short film and musical. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the heyday of MTV, it you didn't see a lot of uh, musical films come out during the. the 80s, early 80s, because MTV basically supplemented that need for people to have a musical. I think Scorsese talked about it. So when he directed Michael Jackson's Bad, Uh he saw it as a musical. Right. You know? Interesting. But as that was replaced by, you know, all these other reality shows in MTV, the the Mm -hmm. art form of music video went away. Um, And then you saw the advent of, like, you know, High School Musical or, like, The Glee. And, like, so this need for the musical has always been there. Right. It's just been supplemented by TV shows and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's interesting because isn't Billboard, top Billboard 100 now accounts uh, YouTube hits and clicks for for music uh, videos. Oh, that's smart. Because Vivo has the official, like, music video site on YouTube. Uh Uh-huh. So... Like, the Gundam style, whatever it is, uh, does so many hits. But that's counted as, it's a music video. So that added to the um, statistics for Billboard 100. Oh, yeah. To add to their, like, this is how it is. So when I saw your latest um, music video um, for, give me, help me out. Oh, Standing on on the Other Side. Standing on the Other Side. Standing on the Other Side for your latest EP. Mm -hmm. Really great music video, great song. Thanks. And if I got that correctly, it was... um, sort of like your overall perspective of dealing with
1: um, environmental like concerns, right? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, it's kind of like deals with a post-apocalyptic kind of a world, I guess.
0: Yeah, it's worth checking out. I'll make sure when we post this up, I'll post all your links up so people want to if they yeah. hear it, they can go to the site and see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll get that up. Cool. Just a disclaimer, this site is just brand new so it's, <laughs> it's starting up. But the cool thing about podcasts is, like, somebody a year from now could still stumble upon this, yeah, and still like you, like, we had this conversation now, yeah. A year from now, you could say, "I listen to your podcast, man. I want to talk to you." Yeah, right. Like, what? Well, that was like a year ago. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, that guy great. Scott's dead. Or he's in jail. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really fascinating the the art form of digital media once you get it out there. Yeah, it's time Look, capsule. Yeah. So I saw that you have. I love what you do on your emails because you have very simple sort of closure of like, you know, Thomas Thorson and Thiers, but you have links to your EP. Mm, yeah, um, good. and some of your YouTube videos, very clever. That's cool a on. very clever sort of, uh, marketing tactic.
1: Oh, good, know? good. Yeah. Good. So, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as vast as the world is and as vast as, um, you know, all of these digital distribution networks are, um, and as excited as I am for people in Europe or in Japan to be hearing my music, it's really, like, still very much driven by this kind of face-to-face marketing. I mean, really, that's... I think that's just as important.
0: Yeah. Let me ask uh, you. you know, know. Yeah. So do you have... Do you have, like, a uh, a freelance gig or a job? Like, basically, let's yeah. get the uh, yeah. brass tacks. Do you have right. something right. to
1: do to, to like, put I do, food to the table? Yes, I do. I do. Um, and it's actually, interestingly, kind of grew out of my interest in music. I do, um, like av installations and i do also audio equipment design so it's a kind of a wide array of activities but i work i have a sole proprietorship and i work um doing installations of audio and video related equipment this is this all grew out of the fact that i've been doing um basically like audio electronics work for the purpose of enhancing my own recording studio, right. and I've learned certain things that led me to create certain custom products, sold them to some people, and this sort of other body of work that I that that I that I do now, which comprises the majority of my income, sort of like grew out of that network of relationships that I'd already created through the music world.
0: It's fine. It's fascinating because a lot of artists. Authors, artists, musicians, and filmmakers—they uh-huh. um, have—they have that offshoot where yeah. they provide a service, you sure. know, so yeah. they have clients, and that's what they do to pay the bills. Right. But they're all buying to create the goods, yeah. so they can have that direct correlation to their customers, their audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. And do you have like a game plan, or what you're trying to hope to basically make a sustainable living yeah, just yeah, being yeah. Uh, providing goods
1: as an artist? Well, yeah, I think, um, I mean, there's always the hope that, um, you know, interiors, I also have another project, which is a duo, which will What's be, it called again? well, I, it's not, it's not published yet. Oh, okay. So it's, a, I guess it, for now it's a secret, but, um, well, I saw not a YouTube interview with you with, uh, which her Candy... What's her name? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Candy. Yeah, Candy Lacey. Candy Lacey. And she was asking about... She mentioned some other group. I'm like, what is that other group? Hmm. Well... Something, OSHA? Not OSHA. Yeah, what was it at that... I mean, actually, I was playing in another band for a while that's since broken up. So that could okay. have been, that, that could have been true at the, at the time, time of that interview. But I have another project, which, which is a pop project, which will be coming out. You know, so, so there's always a hope that one of these sort of pop-oriented projects will you know make a hit that will generate a lot of income that'd be that'd be cool um, yeah but even if that's not the case because that's largely out of the artist's control whether or not something like that happens you know you right. can make good work but you can't control whether or not it's going to make money you know you can you put your best foot forward but you know you never know if it's going to be a hit yeah um but i i i, I do mastering um mm-hmm. Uh, and I do mixing and album production and I would really love to be able to, um, continue to build my studio as I'm doing, uh, every month I'm expanding the, uh, the equipment and the facilities so that I can create more and more competitive, um, productions, you know, in a a commercial way. Do you have um, anybody you want to, like, help produce, to? Are you into, like, oh, producing? Oh, man, sure, yeah. I mean, I'm interested in producing all kinds of work. Uh, it's certainly, it's certainly my, my dream to always, as I do now, uh, to continue to work with artists that I actually enjoy. You know, I think yeah. that there's a lot of people out there who do, like, engineering for a living who, you know, for them, like, half the time they go to work, it really is kind of a day job because they've got to produce music that they don't like. Yeah. So I would like to be able to continue to be selective about the projects that I produce. Um, But I'd love to be able to do that as a full-time job. So, yeah, I'm just building the studio and uh, hoping to get myself into that position.
0: Isn't it funny? All we want to do is... A lot of artists, they're not... Like, nobody I've ever really talked to says, I just need to make it big. You know, it's like, it's, they're just like, I just want to keep creating. Yeah. But I want to be able to make a living. So yeah. it's not, you yeah. don't have to worry necessarily about that. Yeah, totally. And I don't know whether or not that pain is sort of a, a driving force for artistic expression, which makes art great. Because if we get comfortable, does yeah. art become shit? You know? <laughs> I <Yeah>. don't know. <laughs> yeah. 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 You see that with filmmakers. Yeah. You see like these young, like early directors. Their work. I mean, Tarantino talks about like, look, I'm quitting soon. Yeah. Because he's like, I only have X amount of great amount of movies <laughs> in me. Because he's seen directors like great directors like yeah, they just peter out. The last few movies. Like, what the hell was that? Yeah. You right. know, or they're just cashing in, or right, you know, you hear that actors sure. too. Sure. So. Sure. So let me ask you. Um, I had a question about. Let me think about this real quick. Do you need to take a bathroom break? Or oh, no, no, I'm good. Let me actually pause this. I need to. Yeah, we're back up and running. Okay. Hey. So, quick. I'll edit all this stuff out. Anyhow, I wanted to ask you... Um, so, the idea with like, Film Trooper is, again, to get people to start... Artists to start thinking about becoming entrepreneurs. Yeah. And one of all... Like, I went to film school, and then, like, the first, you know, half of my professional career... Like I worked in production, yeah. And yeah. I worked in a sur- like servicing other people. So I was yeah. at Sony PlayStation, so I was servicing the game division. Yeah. When I left that, I was like, you know, doing odd jobs as editor, freelance, whatever. Now, like, I do work as a producer, making videos of all sorts or cartoons or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I'm still servicing somebody else's stuff. Yeah. So yeah. now they have a good. A product that I can go to the, straight to the customer. Right. I have to build all those infrastructure in place. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. what I studied in the last few years is I've studied a lot of um, about business, basic business, and online marketing and marketing in general. Uh-huh. And now I feel like I'm in this new wave of my career where I have to apply it. You know, said so there's that famous um, Bruce Lee interview where he talks about. You know, you know, knowing is not enough. You have to apply. Uh-huh. You know, you have to you have to apply that knowledge somehow. Right. So I feel like this is my step in the right direction of applying everything I've learned. So business wise, they talk about business systems being that's where the success is. Uh-huh. So like McDonald's, right? Yeah. Yeah. McDonald's yeah. makes the worst hamburgers, <laughs> but they make a, sell a lot of them, and they have the best real estate because they're at every corner where they're supposed to be at every mall. Area they're supposed to be, and they have a system that they can rinse repeat over and over right, right. to sell you the worst hamburgers. Yeah, yeah. So the question is
1: oh, thank you. You're thank right. you. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're in oh, their case. Serious
0: cheers another hub <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so anyhow so I was saying about business systems that way we as artists like you know if something happens to us we get sick like that's yeah. it you know like you, yeah. you, we want to get out of that place where totally. we have a system in place with our art or whatever it is that's always generating right. revenue Right. what they call passive income or yes. something yeah. where you can yeah. make it so do you have a plan In place of some sort
1: Have you thought about that With your well, art I mean y- Yes In a sense A, a certain part certain part of this Is Out of my control But I um, You know I certainly know Musicians Who have um, Very prominent Film li- uh, Like film Placement Licensing for their music And you know, if a person is fortunate enough to have music placed in a film that has a wide and ongoing viewership, there is potential for a really solid, ongoing Residual. revenue stream. Yeah. 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 So, true. I mean, that, you know, I mean, frankly, um, licensing, I, I mean, the way that I see it, licensing has replaced the record and record sales and it's replaced touring even for almost everybody as being like the most fundamental income stream for recording music. It's I uh, I don't know it's a strange position to be in because you can't control you, you can't control th- those opportunities. Right. But you can make great music Uh, you know, hopefully. Yeah, it's it's fascinating you mentioned
0: licensing being a a very viable format uh, or process for musicians to make a sustainable living. Yeah. I wrote a blog a couple weeks ago about Hollywood is not in the film business. And so the whole blog was essentially Hollywood uh, revolves around the control of licenses or the exploitation of licenses, which is why they need to have complete hundred percent control of a of a copyright for twenty five fifty years yeah because they need to like whatever they buy in their library, they need to know that they can exploit it. 20 years down the line or within that in yeah, other mediums. Sure. Right. So it's not about the actual product. It's about the control of that license which is why they pump out the Transform movies or a Godzilla movie because sure. they're like oh we got this license. Yeah. <laughs> and what they want to do is they want to exploit that license as much as possible which is why they're like okay we're going to make some toys, merchandise. Right. Because they, you know, George Lucas of Star Wars was the reason all this stuff really changed because he in his contract, he controlled all the ancillary toy merchandise, the yeah, 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 yeah. way the 20th Century Fox re- held on to the film rights. <laughs> so he made his empire off all the merchandise. Yeah. Bands are known for that, M- yeah. musicians going on tour and selling their t-shirts, totally. and that's how they make their money. Totally. Totally. And There's a lot of
1: bands that are in the t-shirt business.
0: Exactly, and that's a whole <laughs> other story. But the concept is still there of licensing, exploiting the license so it's fascinating to hear that's what musicians have to do yeah and that's the problem I think that with independent filmmakers is that we go about we got one film we die for this one film for yeah. three four years or yeah. pl- more than that and that's it it's a finite product and it's a it's way too much supply you know uh-huh. out there mm, yeah and so yeah, and it's
1: a, and it's a, and it's a, and it's a product that is not consumed so rapidly as music is mm-hmm. and so effortlessly as music is so, I mean, music, you know, music can just kind of, you know, we're sitting in a bar and we're listening to music right now, you know. Right, right. And presumably, you know, the artist is getting paid a little bit, even just from us listening to this, you know, because ASCAP or BMI is collecting, you know. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Maybe, <laughs> They're going to say, wait,
0: podcast. Wait, it's in your pocket. So you have to pay off. Like, <laughs> yeah. I was just in a bar. Yeah, there's all these weird restrictions to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: you know. The, you're true, yeah. But, yeah, but a movie, it's not like you walk into a bar and, the, you know, oh I watched this movie you know the yeah. other night at the bar you know it was on TV yeah, yeah. yeah. Screw it. But yeah. They, you know
0: TV had that rights to sell it right you know what's interesting is business wise there's this concept that all this new media music uh, books uh, movies web series or whatever it is the idea is you give that away free for free yeah, yeah. because yeah. you're you're trying to the big picture here is to try to get loyal followers fans yeah and if you can retain a thousand, two thousand fans a year, yeah. that would are willing to give you fifty bucks, one hundred dollars a year yeah. for your stuff. Yeah, the math says that you can make a living off that. Yeah, yeah. And so that's—I yeah. don't remember who the author was—or somebody wrote this this um, expose about a mm-hmm. thousand, two thousand fans. That's uh-huh. all you're shooting for. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So whatever you can do uh-huh. to retain that loyalty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. Um, you know, on a bigger scale, that's what Amazon does, which mm. is why they, they call it Amazon Prime. They're trying to get as many loyal customers that are tied into their system, even though they might lose some money here and there. Yeah. They're banking on the, lo- the long tail, which is huh. loyal customers. So I think artists can do the same thing. They just have to stop... You Like, for me, I realized, like, I'm not going to make, you know... I, I don't know how, what I'm going to be able to make off the cube. Maybe yeah. nothing. Maybe it's just a... Yeah. a a a source of something that allows me to be introduced to so many different people. Right, right, right. That then it's really the next movie that's the thing that might actually make some money or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and yeah. And so I looked at it as, well, now that I can make films for nothing and now I have, you can raise money if you use crowdfunding, if you want to go that route, or mm-hmm. just make your films for nothing, again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or now you have a distribution channel. You know, you can get it out anywhere. Same thing with music. You can mm-hmm. make it in your living room. You know, you can. You don't have a lot of money if you just have money for your equipment, and you now have right. a distribution channel with so many places to have people listen to it. The last part of it is the marketing part of it, but if the marketing part of it is part of a bigger machine, which is... Um, like a studio system uh-huh. so you um, have a body of work like what I see you're doing so you have loyal followers that will say you know I'll buy your stuff because I bought every mm-hmm. album that you came through because you know yeah. I was like why not it's not that expensive and I like the stuff you're doing and it's like you, I feel this sort of Humanely loyal feeling of like, I'm gonna make sure he gets money, or whatever it is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of the new paradigm for artists or filmmakers is to get to that point. Yeah. So now they ha- they are beholden to their fans or their followers, their loyal followers, to start producing. Yeah. yeah. As opposed to, they can't worry about whether or not they're gonna get picked up by a record company uh-huh. or a, a, a yeah. film distribution company. Yeah. So that's really the big picture for the film trooper and being becoming artists to become entrepreneurs Uh is to see that bigger
1: picture paradigm and now the question is how do you get there right right so well I certainly I certainly wonder whether the records that I make ought to be for sale or whether they ought to be free free, you know at least interesting yeah Yeah. I mean I I have some very uh, good conversations with a close friend of mine who really argues vehemently that music should be made available for free. at least the vast majority of musicians who are kind of in this you know non not the, not the stratospheric superstars you know yeah but everybody else really ought to expect to give the music away for free. And that the income will be generated on the basis of one's reputation, you know, and per, you know, peripheral goods that you can yeah. that you can create that okay. surround that music. I gotcha. Um, I, re- I read uh, a very interesting article by a guy named Chris Randall, who's a friend of a friend of a friend, a nice guy, and he he had a a, a good. Uh, go at a career as a professional musician, and he argues that music, uh, I mean, I'm kind of summarizing and maybe kind of uh, filtering it a little bit um, with my own interpretation, but he, more or less what I take from it is that he thinks that people never actually paid for music. People bought records, people bought tapes, people bought CDs, but people were only buying the record. And the music was effectively free. People, people pay for the album art. You know, ah. they pay for the physical item. But to somebody who is a fan, to somebody who loves the music, the music is always free. The music, the art is always this thing that's like they already own it. You that's know,
0: pretty, it's pretty heavy when you think about it because you you are in a sense like I've just bought the CD, but really what it is is a licensing. I yeah. bought your album via iTunes, but I downloaded it. Do I own it? Yeah, no, well. I can't I can't take your music and put it in, in anything that I sure, want sure, sure. because there are licensing <laughs> the restrictions. <laughs> right, right, right. So really through the dawn of time, we've all just been yes, it's been free because it's been available in different formats for you to enjoy. Yeah. But I basically pay for the convenience having it all the time. Yeah, but yeah, you pay play for for, it. Th- for
1: for a delivery mechanism That's more it. or less. But I don't own it. Yeah. But it's yeah right. It's fascinating. You could, you could, how could you own music? I mean, really. Yeah. Like, when you love a song, like how could you imagine somebody owning that song?
0: Right. Right. I that don't is. Know. That's heavy. It's fascinating.
1: So you know. So the 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 question and the problem, of course, that results from the fact that music and now films are distributed digitally is that is that there is. That vehicles more or less disappeared. You know, it's not. Yeah. It doesn't really exist. It's kind of that the, the 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 imagination that it's a real thing is dispersing. You know, it's less and less tangible.
0: There's a. I follow this um, film marketer uh, guru. Uh-huh. She, she doesn't call herself a guru, but I call her a guru. Uh-huh. Her name is uh, Sherry Candler. and she does. She wrote a little blog or tweet saying that if there's no physical media anymore, then what? use does the distribution companies have yeah and so Good question. it's I mean that's for music and movies now mm-hmm. and books because you know um, this guy Tim Ferriss, who wrote the four-hour work week uh-huh. is uh, sort of very very influential in the entrepreneurial space uh-huh. um, and he wrote a book called like the four-hour chef and he released it uh, exclusively to Amazon (laughs) and Barnes & Noble banned that book because um, because Amazon has its own structure of publishing and stuff like that so like things are shaking up in that world of old school and yeah and I said movies like I said music is we have to look at music what's happened to the music industry to know what's going to happen to the film industry and to see that where there's no physical goods anymore yeah. I mean it's yeah. so how yeah. do you what use so what what benefit does the working with a um Mozart um, sorry what's her yeah, name Mozart again? Kind Yeah, Mozart Kind being with a record company well or a a a, a, com- a publishing company
1: well I okay I mean in one really huge and very specific advantage is the fact that that allows my music to reach a European audience um in a way that I could never do on my own. And it allows me to also participate in a community of musicians who I wouldn't be able to meet on my own. Or, you know, the likelihood of my being able to encounter those people and feel like we belong to the same tribe, you know, it's very, very slim. Um, But, you know, now that I'm a part of that community, um... I I feel it's very rich rewards to, to be connected with all of that. I couldn't, I couldn't have done that. And, you know, and, and there's many ways that I feel very connected to Portland and there's many ways that I don't feel connected to Portland, you know? So I think I, I recognize a really fundamental need in marketing my music to find audiences that are outside of my physical, proximity you know you just hit on something because I think I
0: read somewhere that it hasn't happened yet but the world of publishers like Mm. book publishers then music publishers or record companies and then now film distribution companies yeah all those companies because the 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 reality of physical goods is not there anymore it's all digital is that those companies have to change their business focus and become marketing companies. Uh-huh. So what it is, is like they right. would take you under the umbrella, like we will market our brand. Right. And we have marketing strategies. And I had this feeling with like, you know, the Northwest the Northwest Film Fest, sorry, I messed that up. The Northwest Film Center Yeah. also puts on the Portland Interna- International Film Festival, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I watch a lot of films now on my Apple TV. Right. Or people have Roku boxes or something. Right. And, there's so much films, you know, but once in a while you'll see, like, a little a little bubble that says, check out the, um, Tribeca's Film Festival stuff or the Sundance Film Festival gems, you know? Right, 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 right. There's an opportunity, I think, for film festivals like the Northwest Film Center to, say, to have a channel or have a presence on, like, iTunes to yeah, say be the so best cool. of the Northwest Film Center or whatever it is, so it's... So, if somebody in Miami is sick of the heat, they always have this fascination: of what's going on with the Northwest, Pacific Northwest? They can they can live vicariously through these films, right. or they can sure. see, like there's this movement, you know? Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> like, um, like you know, all the hottest films from the Middle East or South America. Under whoever can aggregate and become a publisher or marketer of those of that bubble. Uh-huh. So, I think film fe- film festivals really need to get into the the world of being an aggregator slash marketer distributor because. Yeah, if you could start your own film festival and right. say, guess what? Yeah, that's a lot of work. A lot just, of work just, just, just to, do to, to that. start
1: the start a local festival. Clearly, exactly huge. Job but pouring.
0: if you had the caveat saying that we have a deal with iTunes that you know the winners that we pick that yeah. you were entering it for the specific reason of not only being part of our fest- festival, right, but being dis- distribution part of under our umbrella, right? You know, right? Cause yeah, really- right. Because right now you. Tribeca sort of has some distribution they do, and Sundance sort of does, uh-huh. but no other film festival really has. Like, mm-hmm. they, they're just like they're, like films pass through them. Yeah, they don't yeah. retain yeah. any yeah. of them. And film festivals have a, a amazing uh, opportunity with um, name brands that they can say, you know what, we're going to harness this or Seattle Interna- International Film Festival. Right. We're going to stop and we're going to take some of the best ones and we're going to keep them to ourselves. And become distribution company, uh-huh. and then we have a channel on iTunes, right. and that way people can just go like, "That's where you find that stuff," and it promotes our brands. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, but I, music could have the same thing because your re- a record company could have that, which is like, look, we are really shifting our focus from publishing to marketing. You know, because publishing is easy enough. We just say we've got access yeah, to yeah, these yeah, channels. Yeah. But really what makes our company unique is that we have an amazing marketing um, powerhouse that pr- pr- promotes all the, all the music or all the licenses that we own, you know? Mm-hmm. And you don't see that right now. And it's, it's uh-huh. really there for the taking, for anybody to say, look,
1: I'm starting my own distribution... Not a distribution company, guys. I have a, mar- a marketing company. Yeah, right, and right, right. Perhaps- it's actually directed towards the public. Yeah. Because you do have these organizations that, like, aggregate... Um, uh, Music for commercial licensing. You have, you know, these music music licensing firms that effectively are doing what you're describing, but it's not targeted towards the end consumer. It's targeted towards businesses, businesses, or services, or yeah.
0: independent video producers right. that need to right. acquire. Fascinating, because you know, perhaps like you know, the the film trooper is on its it's just starting, and what I've, I have a survey on my website that is the idea is just I need to hear from other people like would this be any value to anybody mm. like in terms of like having like a step-by-step process of becoming an entrepreneur yeah and then this is just throwing it out there perhaps I could sh- eventually maybe turn Film Trooper into a brand big enough that it's um, a distributor or a marketer for other films so somebody might come through our training program and say I learned how to make a film for $500 with yeah. no crew yeah and then all of a sudden, like we have the film and we put it into a distribution channel, and then there's these marketing ways that we can reach an audience. But and but it's all under the sort of the, the umbrella of film trooper. So film trooper might be like this 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 spot where here's a bunch of films made for like under a thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah. You know, th- and, and that's its niche. You know, like yeah. we're not. And never went to film festivals, nothing like that. So that like, yeah. it's you yeah. just know, like the films that come under this umbrella would be that. So the same thing for you for for films, like you you know, interiors might be this a um, your band and your music, but you might find yourself in a place where you become your own publisher or your own, uh-huh. um, yeah, a publisher for other people's music where you're a producer of, but uh-huh. but because you have built a loyal fan base that. You know what?
1: Yeah. You're going to share them more yeah. valuable yeah. content yeah. because you've aggregated right. Right. it all. Well, Frank. I mean, frankly, I mean, you mentioned the uh, that, the Dark Arts uh, 2012 festival that I that I curated and produced last year here in Portland. That was maybe kind of my first experience of. The, the pleasure of having a chance to curate music in that way, like right. I had a yeah. chance to kind of like say, this is what I think is really interesting that's happening right here, right now. When you see it from this perspective, you know, it was like one, you know, once one small glimpse of what what's going on in Portland right now. But um, but it was really but cool. it was curated, you know, yeah, yeah. And I, and I, I I definitely enjoy that. It's interesting because if you could do it on a
0: small local level. Mm-hmm. You basically promoted, put an event on. Mm-hmm. You take those same skill sets and use software or tools that can broadcast it to an online world, yeah. market, or audience. Then you'd be, you know, and figure out a way to monetize that. You've made the first step into, you know, creating a business system of some sort, but yeah. all yeah. within your creative thing. And then right. at the same time, you right. get to promote yourself. Because sure. honestly, this podcast is is what they call content marketing mm-hmm. because I'm trying to provide content to people that might be interested in knowing, you know, a few key, uh, few keywords, independent film, business marketing, uh-huh. and how to become an entrepreneur uh-huh. the, as an artist. Uh-huh. So those are the keywords, right? So we have these discussions. Yeah. But then at the same time, the niche is, is that it's here in Portland, Oregon. So we try to highlight all the weirdness of Portland, Oregon, or just the uniqueness and yeah. the, the, the different artists. So yeah. 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 I'm focusing local so I'm just focusing on a local level. But if I can get to know as many people locally as possible, mm-hmm. then it becomes this unique um, experience for viewers or listeners that are, like I said, in Miami. They're like, man, i got to get out of this humidity. I want to get up there. There's, you'd be surprised how many people like that want to do that. So they might find this and be interested in that. So that's my... Uh, purpose of having this podcast because at the same time I get to talk shop and and it's fascinating because we get to talk art and talk business and we're trying to lay down some sort of um, bigger picture mindset change to help artists get to that place where how do we become sustainable in the living and I'm not, i making no qualms about it. This is what this is. This is content marketing. This yeah. free podcast. Yeah. And once in a while, I get to throw in there like, "Hey, we we worked on a film together. I made a movie. Yeah. So like if they want to know more about it, they might check it out. Yeah. Right on. So. You could just anybody could do the same thing. Like you go, I want to talk more about music. I want to interview some other musicians. Mm -hmm. But every time I interview musicians and
1: talking music and talking art, I throw it in there. Hey, check out my EP. You know, it's (laughs) it's, it's cheesy, but that's essentially what happens. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, there's some good interview shows when when musicians interview other musicians. I think it's always pretty interesting.
0: Oh yeah, any profession. Like when I I listen to these writing um, uh, podcasts, and it's fascinating to hear. Writers talk with writers, or comedians talk with right, comedians. That's right. what made uh, the, one of the top podcasts out there is Mark Marin's uh, WTF, What the Fuck, because he just a lot of it he just interviews other comedians. But it's just fascinating to listen in to this really in depth conversation about their craft, and it's funny at the same time, you yeah. know. And it's fascinating to listen to our Jeff Goldsmith's uh, podcast with Q and A with with screenwriters, you know. And I feel like you know. I thought this might be a niche, which is talking to local Portland artists and entrepreneurs. Because I actually plan to like, interview some business people just to, that's outside yeah, the film right. world. Totally. Just to totally. say, how do you yeah. do your business and how would you apply that to art? Like if you had a right. band like, right. well, you know, or music. And it, I think it's good for artists to hear uh, from a different perspective. That's people that are working outside the industry to see how you can bridge the two together. And it's funny because I don't think business has to be so stale. I think business can be as just as creative
1: yeah. as the process of making your art. Right, right, you know? right. And creative people should be involved in business too. Right, because there's. I mean, there's lots. There's lots of people who are, feel deflected. I mean, I, I can I can say you know in my experience as an independent artist, you know, there's there's a certain stigma I think attached to like trying to figure out how to monetize your art practice. Especially in Portland I mean you know Maybe there's people Listening to this in New York And they think That's hilarious That I would say that But like Right right I, You know I, But I totally in Portland <laughs> like, This is a serious thing Yeah You
0: know Because Portland Is a place where Here's For anyone who Listen to this This is my I come from South California and the first conversation at, when you meet somebody in Southern California is, hey, what do you do for a living? Right, right. They need to size you up. They need to know what
1: you do for a living to see whether or not you can right. help them or not. Right. Maybe kind of check out what kind of car they're driving. Yeah. They kind
0: of the gauge you like, are you worth anything? You know? In Portland, nobody asks you that. Everybody asks you, what do you like to do? You like to hike? Yeah, you like, to yeah, 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 you yeah, like yeah, kayak, You like to snowboard or whatever it is. Nobody for the first maybe three months that I was here asked right. me what the hell I did for a living. It's refreshing. But this community is, really does fight to be as pure as possible. Like commerce and business is like, I say that, but actually there's a, quite a thriving community of entrepreneurs here. Uh-huh. And I think the reason being is that when you find locations like Portland or I came from San Diego, there's a lot of them down there. Yeah. People that are entrepreneurs can decide where they want to live. Mm. So when they just pick the place where they want to live, yeah, they, they, they build their business around that. And so this is a place, if you want to live out of an REI, um, you know, life uh, catalog or something like that, this yeah. is where you can be. Sure, you know? right. Totally,
1: totally, totally.
0: There's no reason why we can't, as artists, to tap into that and not feel like we sold out. We, it is a very creative process.
1: Well, yeah, and, and presumably, if you're able to make your art into an actual living, then you can do that art 40 or 60 or 80 hours a week instead of doing it, you know, 10 hours a week or whatever, you know, like if you're working full time and you're doing your art on, your side, on the side uh, not only do you not have the resources maybe to allocate to the art but you also just don't have the time or the energy so I mean, I wholeheartedly believe that work is a beautiful aspect, it is a, it's a beautiful and fulfilling potential of human life it happens to be the case that I think a lot of people don't like their work. Yeah. But I intend to make what I love into my work. So I yeah. intend to do for work the things that I love.
0: I do very much, uh, inspired by what you've done for your music career here and seeing, that's why it was very fascinating to talk to you about, you have your, um, your music you're creating and then how you are trying to market that, how you're trying to build an audience that way. Um, it's much more together than some other artists i've seen you know so which is great you know um nothing to discredit it. it's just that you could tell like certain artists just need to create and they just don't want to f- look yeah. into that yeah. world but this is this podcast is for those who really want to try to bridge the gap and move into the next millennium um with this concept that you know what it's all all in one and it really should be taught in schools they really should be taught like you know what. Yeah. You, you, you can't just stop with the art you create there's still another part to it you know in order to do something with it you, you know Right, and it's not really taught that way so th- that's really kind of what Film Trooper is about is to try to create a training program mm-hmm. to change that mindset to like to create like these modules or something for people to go Well, how do I do that? How do I get there? So that's the
1: discussion. Cool.
0: Well, we can wrap it up. We've been talking for a good hour and a half, which is fine. I'll cut it down. I hope so. I don't know. I have, like, some ums in there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's been fantastic. Do you have one thing you want to leave the audience? We don't have an audience yet, but believe me, in a couple months, I plan to have at least 20. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, you never know. All of a sudden, we could have, like, 100 to 1,000 downloads. Yeah, you know? right on. So, Well, oh, man, final thought. Yeah. Well, you know I what? Know. Maybe final, th- an elixir. So now you've gone through this yeah. experience. Yeah. If yeah. you were, yeah. somebody like, you were going to give advice to somebody. Well,
1: yeah, don't don't worry about what's popular today. That's, I think that's my advice. I, we live in, uh, Inside of a consumeristic fashion system where tastes change and turnover so quickly, if you start onto that treadmill, I just think you are—you know—you might—you might have a, a, a flush of, of success, but uh, once you're on that treadmill, you're just—it's there's no way you're going to be able to sustain it. So I think, for me, what I. The way that I, the way that the way that I have proposed to deal with that problem is to just make the work that is the most fulfilling to me, and have faith that it's going to connect with everyone else too. Very very cool.
0: Hey, thank you so much for spending time and you know doing this podcast.
1: Thank you. So Thanks, we'll Scott.
0: Wrap up. And again, if you want to know more about Thomas, I will put it all in the show notes, in the in the podcast, and and on the site. So cool. Thank you so much.